Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself. Broaden your mind. Open your heart and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Welcome. We have almost made it through another month in 2021, and we have also just moved past or in the process of moving past, depending on where you are, a full moon in Scorpio. And so there is a lot of energy around that that has to do with living the most fulfilling life and really following your heart and soul, opening to wealth and abundance, and truly being clear about who you are and why you're here on the planet. I can't think of a more wonderful guest than the one I have today who has written a book called The Clear Light, Spiritual Reflections and Meditations. And there's a foreword by Eckhart Tolle. This is actually an Eckhart Tolle edition, an imprint. And Eckhart has said that poetry has been recognized since ancient times as a highly appropriate medium for the expression and transmission of spiritual truth. So Steve Taylor's latest contribution to this poetic tradition allows you to experience some insightful reflections as you move into some themes upon which you can meditate. I'm going to start off with uh, one of his poems that is in the book. Let's meet without pretense, without hierarchies of status or artificial shows of respect, without trying to impress each other with our knowledge or charm or humor. Let's meet without fear of exposing our vulnerabilities, without being embarrassed by our need for love or pretending to be self-sufficient. Let's meet without the past, without letting our urge to connect be obstructed by old resentments, without letting our natural empathy be blocked by hard, fixed prejudice. Let's meet without insecurity, knowing that we don't have to prove that we're worthy of each other's affection, since love doesn't need to be earned or gained but simply allowed to flow. Let's meet without intentions, without any designs or goals, knowing we don't have to try to relate to each other because we're already related, knowing that there's nothing we need to do except allow ourselves to be. Let's meet purely in presence, without any conditions or concepts, knowing that in essence we are the same and that in being we are one. Dr. Steve Taylor is the author of 11 previous books on psychology and spirituality, including The Calm Center and The Leap, his first two books in the New World Library's Eckhart Tolle edition imprint. He's also the author of the Return to Harmony audio course, a senior lecturer in psychology at Leeds Beckett University. He lives in Manchester, England, and the book we're talking about today is The Clear Light, Spiritual Reflections and Meditations. Welcome, Steve, to 1111 Talk Radio. Hi, Simon. Great to be here. Thanks for reading the poem. It sounded wonderful when you read it. (laughs) (laughs) All of them are wonderful. I really enjoyed moving through the book and reading them. They're they're beautifully done. They are themes and topics that are uh, available really for anyone, regardless of where they are on their spiritual path. And they allow an individual to pause and really contemplate on something that is going to uh, create a more meaningful connection to self. And this first poem that's in your book called Meeting Purely in Presence is such a powerful one, especially with what we're coming out of the past year in people having to be with themselves, in 
more and more individuals starting to desire to live lives of meaning and purpose or what they truly want. And it is really all about presence, not only uh, meeting oneself in that place of presence, but truly meeting other people in that place. And I love how you talk about um, breaking down the walls that so many of us have had or that life has taught us to have, such as hierarchies or uh, some of the uh, falsities or masks that people wear. Talk a little bit about this particular poem and and what brought you into almost bringing people to a place where they're allowing themselves to be more open and naked and vulnerable with one another. It was um, it was based on a realization I had long t- a long time ago that often when I meet people, I, I was willing to sort of be completely open and. Um, um, you know, completely present to them. But often people would carry things with them. They would carry um, sort of constructs of, of who I was. Um, they would carry resentments from the past uh, or they would carry kind of intentions or agendas based on the future. So it's quite, when you do meet somebody and they are completely present, you can feel it straight away. You feel this sort of merging and this uh, this powerful togetherness which comes when, you know, when your presence encounters another people's presence another person's presence so it's quite rare you know human beings we do carry a lot of mental constructs and uh, ideas of the future and the past when we meet anybody it's quite rare that people actually are completely present to one another that's very true because when one individual is completely present to another it's not about their accomplishments or it's not about agenda. Uh, it has nothing to do with their identity or who they are in the world. It really is much deeper than, mm. than what life in, in, for so many is. Um, I, I remember you know, before I started really deepening on my spiritual path, path decades ago, so many interactions were so surface. And uh, mm. it, it was oftentimes uh, that okay, what are, we, what are we doing here together? What are, what are you going to get from me? And what am I going to get from you? Mm-hmm. Rather than understanding the fullness of the moment. And I think that oftentimes, especially in our marketing and media world, we're conditioned into that kind of construct, that falsity of, of I have to go out and get or go out and do or I have to perform. And yeah. the type of presence that you're speaking about in this poem, especially let's meet without insecurity knowing that we have nothing to prove. That's yeah. a big one for a lot of people. It is. Yeah, it's quite a, you know, if you are willing to, to meet somebody in presence, it means that you, it's, it's sort of exposing your vulnerability. You know, it's quite a precarious thing to do. And if the other person is not meeting in presence, you know, they, they could, you know, they could sort of, you know, they could take something from that and use it in the wrong way. So it's quite a, you know, it's, it's quite a childlike thing to do as well. Children always meet in presence. Children are always present. And in their interactions with one another, they're completely free of agendas. They're completely free of insecurity. They just experience the joy of being in that moment. So it'd be, it'd be wonderful if adults could do that too. But often uh, a lot of people have their own self-image that they're trying to perpetuate too. And to be open and to be vulnerable would um you know it it doesn't fit with their self-image so they're not willing to be completely open Mm, that's a powerful point yes they they hold up that that uh guard of the self-image so that they don't really have to to face or however they judge their own vulnerable and softer 
uh, an intimate side becomes becomes really more of their their battle and um, restriction than had they let all those walls down. Yeah. I mean, it gives them a sense of identity too. If you wear a mask, it gives you a sense of identity. But at the same time, it is very superficial. And, you know, your real self, which is underneath the mask, suffers from not being exposed to the light. So your your, your real self can, can kind of wither away underneath your persona. And, um, and then also, if you interact with people through a mask, it means that you'll never have really deep and intimate relationships. Your relationships will always be superficial too. I love the two lines, let's meet without intentions, without any designs or goals. And I think that's particularly profound in the spiritual world because so much of personal growth and spirituality now is all about intention. You have to set your intentions. What are we doing with intention? And, and so oftentimes that can be blended and unconsciously become a goal or a design or structure that mm. doesn't allow for the more organic and free-flowing nature that life desires or that we truly are. And so to truly get to a place of meeting without intention and allowing the interaction to be that natural organic presence uh, is something that is part of mastery. It is part of, of I think, mm. an individual's personal and spiritual growth as they expand to even let go of those particular strings and threads of attachment. Mm, that's very true. I guess it's largely a matter of trust. You know, you, you have to trust in life. And, you know, when you let go of your controlling, um, you know, you, you let go of the reins and you, you lose, you let go of your control, then you have to be willing to, to let life take over. But in order to let life take over, you have to trust life. So I guess that, that's quite important that you know, so many people do try to keep tight reins on their life as if their, ho- their life is a kind of horse that they're, they're racing down the track and keeping in the right direction. And um, yeah, that can, that can enter the realm of spirituality too, as you said. You know, that's, I guess that's the case of the ego hijacking, hijacking the spiritual impulse. I think the spiritual impulse is always authentic. The spiritual impulse comes from deep down inside us. But when the ego hijacks that impulse, then then as you say, it gets kind of it gets kind of becomes rigid and um, becomes fixed on the goal of spiritual progress or even the goal of enlightenment, and that becomes counterproductive. It does become counterproductive, and all of the the sayings that we hear, uh, especially in the marketing world, or in, in that perpetuation of attaining something, like we have to hit it hard, we have to gun it, we have to hustle, or for individuals, even uh, from the personal growth perspective, that say, you know, become more of who you are, but that's actually becoming more of the ego. It's creating <laughs> a stronger, harder identity, which yeah. takes you further away from source when we are supposed to actually dissolve all of that to truly encompass the immensity that we are what do you feel about that area and how have you come to uh, write such deep contemplations but in in such language that I think meet people where they are you you have a and and it's very uh, apparent in your languaging even through the show you have a, a deep spiritual knowledge you seem to be someone that has reflected 
a lot to be able to have written these types of books and done this type of work. Talk a little bit about how how you have come to this place and what your own spiritual practice or personal growth practice is. Well, um, my spiritual journey started when I was quite young, when I was probably 16 or 17 years old. And I guess it didn't really start because it was, it was inside me all the time. And I, I really became aware of it. I only became aware of it at the age of 16 or 17. That's when I started to have um, spiritual experiences of uh, feeling expansive and feeling connected to my surroundings and feeling uh, a deep sense of well-being. But at the time, I didn't understand the experiences. I thought maybe there was something wrong with me. I didn't dare tell my parents because I thought they, they might send me to see a psychiatrist, which they probably would have done. It's probably a good decision. But when I was older, when I was in my early 20s, I, I discovered um, meditation. I discovered books about spirituality. I began to read about mystical experiences. And I read the Upanishads and um, books by Christian mystics. So I began to make sense of my own experiences. And um, I wanted to understand my experiences too. I wanted to understand why I experienced these moments of connection and these moments of upliftment and tremendous well-being. And I, I'd always, I'd always had a, a slightly intellectual aspect to my personality. I, w- I did well at school. I went to university. I was good at passing exams. So I, I entered psychology, the field of psychology, because I wanted to understand spirituality from a psychological point of view i wanted to understand the states of mind which were associated with spiritual experiences i wanted to understand um if it's possible to cultivate spirituality and you know what happens in you know during the um um during the journey of spiritual growth what actually happens from a psychological point of view so that was my motivation really so i guess i see all of my my work as a combination of spirituality and psychology and my poetry is probably the purest expression of the spiritual side of my nature whereas I also write uh, academic papers I do research in psychology um, and um, you know in, in, in my attempt to understand spirituality from a psychological point of view. That's a beautiful blend of both the left and right brain, the masculine and the feminine energies within you, it appears to be a nice balance. It's science and spirituality. So it Mm. it feels like you're really allowing both sides of you to intermingle and, and yet express in the ways that they need to express, which is a beautiful modeling and example for a lot of people. Because I think so often we get too mired in one side of ourselves and that the other side doesn't have the balance and for that reason life can often seem uh, imbalanced i think so yeah i actually wrote a book um three years ago called spiritual science and my argument in that book is that science on its own cannot you know cannot explain the world or cannot explain human experience and you have to bring in spirituality within science in order for it to function properly. I don't think science as it is really explains the world at all. I think it probably has a detrimental effect on the world in many, in many respects. But if you bring spirituality into science, then you have a, a holistic picture. And then, you know, you, you have balance, you have harmony. And that, that can be used as a basis of a, you know, a, a new kind of science. 
And we are moving into a time where it feels like a new kind of science is birthing. This is Steve Taylor's poem, Making the Human Race Whole. Make as many connections as you can so that this broken world can become whole again. It's your responsibility to radiate benevolence to everyone you meet, to be reckless with your friendliness, and to surprise strangers with your openness on behalf of the whole human race. It's your responsibility to turn suspicion to trust, hostility to sympathy, to expose the absurdity of prejudice, to return hatred with implacable goodwill, until your enemies have no choice but to love you on behalf of the whole human race. It's your responsibility to free yourself from bitterness and to harness the healing power of forgiveness, to repair connections and reestablish bonds that were broken by resentment years ago on behalf of the whole human race. It's your responsibility to open up channels of empathy through which compassion can flow until there are so many connections across so many different networks that finally, like the cells of a body, billions of human beings will fuse together, sensing their common source and their common core. Then a new identity will emerge, an overriding oneness, and the human race will be whole at last. This is from Dr. Steve Taylor's book, The Clear Light, Spiritual Reflections and Meditations, with a foreword by Eckhart Tolle. This is an Eckhart Tolle edition from the New World Library Publishing Company. And you can find out more about Steve Taylor at stephenmtaylor.com. You can find out about his other books, including The Calm Center, The Leap, in addition to the Return to Harmony audio course. And you can find out about an upcoming event this June that is a workshop, online workshop, that is based on the book, The Clear Light. So definitely check that out. Again, that website is stephenmtaylor.com. We'll be right back after these messages with more Stephen Taylor and The Clear Light. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, 
guides, and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Before we get back to my guest, Stephen Taylor, I want to mention that 1111 Magazine has now moved into a new way of expression. It is now biweekly, and you can uh, start to experience the series that are coming out. Right now, we're in a four-part series titled Embrace, and it is to support the integration of individuals in moving along their own journey of personal growth and spirituality. So every four weeks, there will be a new series that uh, develops and allows you to take your work a little bit further inside. This particular series has everything to do with embracing our world. Uh, You can see the current issues on embrace and understanding what that is and embrace duality, which is the second in the series that are out. These are all free digital. Uh, They're on the website at 1111mag.com, where you're also introduced to other amazing individuals that are creating beautiful things in the world. Our newest edition will be out next week, and that one is Embrace Multiplicity, because we all are unique and different. So definitely check that out. In addition, I want to mention the 1111 After Party that's on the Stereo app. So every week after the 1111 Talk Radio Show, we head on over to the Stereo app at 1230. And we have other amazing guests while also speaking a little bit about the show that we've just had. So if you ever scream your opinions into the abyss hoping that someone can hear you, well, now you can because we're live on the Stereo app and you can ask your questions directly there. Uh, You can interact with me and with my guests on that after show. You can share your comments, your wisdom, or deepen into any other type of topic. Uh, We've got brand new content that's going live today, Tuesday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern, so definitely join me. You want to find me at Simran1111 on that app. You can click the banner on the middle of the 1111 Talk Radio page, and that will take you right there. You'll set up an avatar, and then you can join the show. Uh, each and every week after the 1111 Talk Radio. Uh, It's a wonderful opportunity to expand your own voice, to interact, and to join us on the Stereo app for uncensored opinions and exclusive content. So we are definitely taking the party there after the 1111 Talk Radio. Join me each week and download your app today. My guest today is Steve Taylor, and we are talking about his book, The Clear Light, Spiritual Reflections and Meditations. You can find out more about him at stephenmtaylor.com. Definitely also check out his June event, which is on the website, 
that is an online workshop that goes alongside with his book, The Clear Light. This is his poem, Being a Body. It's hard to be a body that seems to be decaying, decaying slowly, whose skin is slowly wrinkling and drying, whose energies taking longer to replenish, and whose injuries take longer to heal. It's hard to be a body as it becomes more demanding and less obedient, like a child growing in reverse, in a process that can't be halted, where the pieces that assembled and arranged themselves so perfectly to create your form will eventually disassemble and dissolve away and release you back into emptiness. It's hard to be a body until you realize that the deepest impression you make is not through your appearance, but through the wholeness of your being and the purity of your actions. It's hard to be a body until you stop trying to hold back time and learn to flow with the slow transformation of your form as you pass through this world. It's easy to be a body when you realize that the body is only partly you and that the essence of you is an energy that has no form and knows no time and shines with ageless radiance and can never decay or die. Stephen, it is hard and easy to be a body. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Mm, I'm sure that that resonates on many levels with many people and particularly with everything that's been going on and, and as individuals age, we do tend to become more and more aware of this, this temporary form that feels so much a part of us, yet, yet it's not really who we are at all. That's true. Um, interestingly, um, I think there is a, a natural process of increasing spirituality, which takes place in a lot of people as they grow, grow older, even if they're not really aware of spirituality in its conventional sense. I think old age can be a process of letting go. You know, you let go of the, the future and you, you release your attachment to possessions, to your past achievements, and you develop a, a sense of presentness, a sense of presence, because, you know, the future and the past seem less important and you become more present-centered. I think that happens with a lot of old people. I think some older people go in the opposite direction. They become increasingly ego-centered and they become bitter and uh, they sort of hark back to the past as a time when things were better and when life was easier and, and more rosy. But I think, you know, for a lot of people, uh, aging can be a process of letting go of their attachment to the body. You know, I mean, we don't really have any choice because, you know, well, we do. I mean, we could, uh, some people, you know, get Botox or, you know, obsessively try to preserve their appearance. But, you know, it's inevitable. Our, our form does change as a part of the process of life. And what I'm trying to say in the poem is that if we flow with that change, if we embrace that change and let go of our attachment to, to youth or to, to the body itself, then it can be a graceful and even a, you know, a, a joyful process. It, it can be a journey of spiritual transformation. Yes, and that also has to do with presence. It's like another level of are we willing to be present to the beauty of change of our own nature of the the blossoming and the wilting and the the process that allows us to see life from a new perspective at each and every age and stage that we have but so often we as we do with story and identity we cling to the past we cling to what was uh, rather than being fully open and alive and embracing of of what currently is 
as you look at this from the psychology standpoint, um, is there a distinction and a, a division between the psychology and the spirituality when it comes to uh, the body? Well, I think there is a division in mainstream psychology because a lot of mainstream psychologists uh, disregard the spiritual aspects of, of the human being. They they do look at human existence purely in physical terms, whether that means the body or the brain. Normally it means the brain because a lot of psychologists think that human consciousness is the product of the brain and that you can explain the workings of the human mind by looking into the workings of the brain. So in that sense, the human beings are reduced to physical entities and the spiritual dimension is completely ignored. But that's like that's probably the you know hardcore of very conventional neuropsychologically orientated psychologists. A lot of psychologists are open to more more spiritual perspectives. And you know that that's that's what I'm trying to do as well. I'm trying to bring in the, the spiritual elements within psychology and to emphasize that human beings are not purely physical beings. And you can't understand human existence or human experience purely in terms of the brain. You have to look into the mind and also go beyond the mind to look into something beyond, something kind of, you know, immaterial, which lies beyond the mind. The poem touched a little bit on emptiness and and what you just said kind of made me feel that way as well. You, You talk about emptiness in the book from two different perspectives that I think is really, really valuable because so often individuals don't realize that emptiness is one of the great tasks that we have towards our spiritual growth. And yet from the human perspective, emptiness is this painful, awful place that we don't ever want to be. Talk a little bit about the distinction between those two and how we can bridge that. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting distinction because emptiness is, you know, it's a word. It has a certain meaning, but it has two different perspectives to it. Emptiness, uh, in a spiritual sense, is also a kind of paradoxical fullness because when you experience a state of mental emptiness, when your mind is free of thought, then you experience the fullness of being. You know, the fullness of your spiritual essence seems to flow and to fill your whole being. So, um, in that sense, emptiness is emptiness represents the essence of reality. It represents the essence of the world. You know, at the most essential level, the world consists of spirit, and our own beings consist of spirit. And spirit is a kind of emptiness. It's a kind of empty fullness, you could say. But at the level of human experience, at the level of normal human experience, experience, then emptiness is a kind of blankness, it's a kind of absence. Because at that level, if we're if we are not in touch with our spiritual essence, at that level, emptiness is an absence. It's an absence of experience, um, it's an absence of attachment. So it's quite painful. But at the spiritual level, you know, uh, if you let go of your attachments, you do fall into a kind of empty fullness. If that doesn't sound too esoteric, but at the you know at the level of uh, the normal human level, you fall into you know a painful emptiness where there is nothing to catch you, and you feel lost, you feel bereft, you feel detached. So yeah, I guess it, it changes its meaning according to your level of spiritual development. 
Do you think that they are uh, interlinked, that, that they are the yin and the yang, they are the, the two, two loops of infinity that we kind of have to experience one to be able to truly understand the other? Possibly. It's very similar to solitude, actually. You know, solitude can be quite a painful experience at the normal human level because you are alone, you feel your aloneness, you feel the separateness of your own being, of your own mind. But at a spiritual level, solitude can be a powerfully positive experience. Solitude can actually be, can actually be a powerful experience of connection to your deepest essence and also to the essence of the world itself. So I think um, you know, it, it, it just depends on your, your level of spiritual development. Once you attain a certain level of spiritual development and you become connected to your own deepest essence, to other people's essence and also to the world itself, then everything begins to look different. You know, experiences which were previously negative become positive. Even, you know, you could, you could, you could think about death in those terms as well. I'm not saying that death is necessarily something positive, but your attitude to death changes once you reach a certain level of spiritual development. You have a couple of poems in there on alchemy where you talk about these paradoxes, these opposites of, uh, and I guess it's really about perspective. It's, it's partially perspective and partially integrative experience of understanding uh, the embodiment of, of both of these at the same time. Anything, whether it's pain or whether it's trauma, uh, you mentioned death as another one of those um, even age is considered one of those. Talk a little bit about the, the paradox or the, the flip perspectives of pain and trauma. It's the, the alchemy of acceptance. That's the poem uh, that you're referring to. It's called The Alchemy yes. of Acceptance. And that's about how an attitude of acceptance can completely transform your experience. It can transform a negative situation into a positive situation. It can transform pain into pleasure, you know, boredom into enjoyment. And it can trans- transform your attitude to death. In, you know, in many cases, human beings fear death because we don't face up to it. You know, we, we don't really face up to it. And, and if we do catch a glimpse of it, we feel a tinge of anxiety, which makes us turn our attention away. But if you face up to the reality of death, you know, and people often find this after a serious illness or after a serious accident or injury, once they've faced up to the reality of death, once they've encountered death, then they begin to sense something different about it. They begin to sense that death is not something um, completely negative and tragic. On one level it is, but also they sense that there is something positive about it as well, that death may be a kind of the beginning of a different journey. And, and often people experience a kind of transformation after that as well. Because awareness of the reality of death transforms their, their lives. It makes them appreciate their lives and makes their relationships deeper and you know, makes, gives them a more spiritual and philosophical perspective on life. And it's, it's the same with um, you know, old age. Um, similar to what, what we were saying earlier, that if you accept the process of aging, then it becomes a, an enjoyable journey rather than a you know, a difficult process that you're trying to stop or trying to delay. So any, any human experience can be transformed by an attitude of acceptance. Well, in that topic of death, um, it can be looked at from that place of 
the illness or the passing of a body, but we have to understand that death happens repeatedly throughout our life and particularly in regard to the many different identities that we have, whether it is something like son, daughter, mother, father, or uh, a type of uh, work identity or, or an expression that we have. And so to get into that place of acceptance and allow for that alchemy to unfold is part of what brings greater peace and happiness in life, don't you think? Definitely, yeah, yeah. It's a it is a question of attachment. You know, attachments give us a a stronger sense of identity. They give us a sense of being somebody or being somebody important. And often that's why we accumulate attachments. That's why we try to achieve things and we try to become more successful. We accumulate more and more roles. We try to accomplish more and more things because it strengthens our sense of sense of identity, and uh, it makes us feel less vulnerable, less fragile. But at a certain point, we realise that it doesn't actually work. It gives us a feeling that you know there's something inauthentic about how we're living. We feel we feel disconnected. I think a lot of people reach that point maybe in middle age. You know, once you've you've got to a certain point in your career. You've got, you've got to a certain level of material success or well-being. But you kind of think, well, you know, what's happened? What's going to happen now? Something seems to be missing. You feel disconnected from the essence of your being. So then some people, you know, some people react by, um, by becoming depressed, maybe becoming, um, you know, addicted to substances to try to escape from their psychological discord. But other people realize that they have to let go. They have to go through a process of, unburdening themselves of their attachments and, and and that equates to a process of spiritual development we can only be sure of the present we can never be sure of the future so many different processes are flowing that we can't predict how they'll coalesce or what events they'll produce we can never be sure of the past our memories have been filtered through so many foggy layers of thought that they aren't a reliable record we can only be sure of the present, where reality streams straight through our senses and we know the world directly and immediately through the clear light of experience. This is from Steve Taylor's book, The Clear Light, Spiritual Reflections and Meditations. The Clear Light is Steve Taylor's latest contribution to this poetic tradition, offering short and powerful reflections as a guide to spiritual awakening and as experiential glimpses of the state of enlightenment itself. Steve ranges widely through the subjects, including making the human race whole, freedom from the past, and the reality of connection, always in clear and simple language. You can find out more about Steve and his books at stephenmtaylor.com. That's stephenmtaylor.com. Also, check out the June event that is coming up. That is an online workshop to coalesce with the Clear Light book that has just released. We'll be right back after these messages with Steve Taylor and more of the Clear Light. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. 
www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 Gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. I have to share one of my most favorite selections from Steve Taylor's book, The Clear Light. It's entitled The Wave. The ocean sighed with pleasure as the wind caressed and stroked her, and soon the wave was born. The wave felt his oneness with the ocean. He felt her as his source, as part of his own being, and knew he could never exist apart from her. But soon the wave began to watch himself. He saw his own smooth and graceful motion and was mesmerized. He saw the beautiful bubbling foam that sprayed around him and was transfixed. The wave fell in love with himself. He started to believe that he was his own master, that it was his own strength that was propelling him. He believed that he was directing his own flow and could change direction if he wanted. The wave forgot the ocean and saw himself as separate, a self-sufficient, sealess wave. He felt proud of his power, exhilarated by his autonomy, as he rolled faster and rose higher. But then he looked around and saw the other waves, the ones who had already peaked and crashed and were beginning to dip and to disperse, and the others who were already dissolving, disappearing. The wave felt afraid, realizing that his form was temporary, that his speed and power would ebb away, and soon he would dissolve and disappear as well. He felt alone as he sensed the empty space around him and saw the distance between him and the other waves. He felt threatened by the ocean's vastness, now that he seemed to be separate from it. The wave resisted and rebelled. He tried to build up more momentum to collect more water, to roll more smoothly, to foam more spectacularly, 
to make himself so powerful that he would never dissolve away, to make his form so perfect that he could escape decay. But soon he realized that he had no choice, that he had less control than he thought, less strength than he thought. He knew he couldn't resist the flow of life and hold back time and tide. The wave stopped grasping and pushing and felt the relief of letting go and the freedom of no longer trying. After his majestic foaming rush and the glorious crescendo of his breaking, he gave himself up to his ebbing, fading flow and to the ease of this descent. And he was filled with the joy of acceptance. The wave allowed his boundaries to soften and felt his connection to every other wave and his oneness with the whole of the ocean. He felt the vast wholeness of the ocean within his own being, then as his own being, and then the wave dipped, slowed down, and began to dissipate. Quietly and serenely, without fear or resistance, he gave himself to the tide and became the ocean again, knowing that he never had been anything else. This is from Stephen and Taylor's book, The Clear Light, Spiritual Reflections and Meditations. You can find out more at stephenmtaylor.com. I love that poem, The Wave, uh, Stephen. Thanks. It, it sounds like my life. <laughs> I think it's, it sounds like all of our lives. <laughs> yeah. It sounds nice when you read it. Mm, it's beautiful. <laughs> I, should get you to re- I should get you to record my audio book. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But it's yeah, love- it is. It, it, Sorry, sorry, Carrie. It's lovely because it really does depict the the journey of us as souls that have forgotten and have really resisted and pushed against and believed we were separate for so long. When all along we're just we're just part of the wave. <laughs> we're part of the ocean as a wave. Mm, yeah. That's right. It's about the journey of human life, how we fall into separateness. As children, we we experience a natural oneness. But as adults, we often fall into separateness and we begin an adventure of accumulation, trying to achieve more, trying to do more, trying to collect possessions and wealth and status. But hopefully, you know, as we move further on in the journey, we begin to let go and we begin to accept the process of change, accept the process of aging. And hopefully, towards the end of our life, we let go completely and we become one with the ocean again. You know, the irony is that we have this belief that we're separate. Most individuals really do feel themselves as separate human beings, apart and different from everyone and everything around us. And we see that so much even in world climates with different issues that rise up on the the social stage of us. But yet we're all the same. We're all so connected. There is such a a connection between us and similarity between us. And there's this deep-seated desire inside every human being, most every human being, to truly be connected to others, to truly be feel mm. at one with others. And when yeah. you when you were writing this this about the wave, what what had you really see that that space? And what do you think? Right now, our world requires for us to understand that we're just that wave that rose up, but we've never left the continuity of the rest of the ocean. Mm. I do think that separateness is at the root of all our problems, both psychologically and uh, socially and or internationally. 
you know, at an individual level, separateness creates a sense of isolation, uh, and it also creates a desire to accumulate things because people try to accumulate things because they want to strengthen themselves because they feel separate. If you feel like a fragment broken off from the whole, then you well, you, you have two choices. You could try to reconnect to the whole, which you can do through spirituality. But unfortunately, a lot of people choose a different strategy, which is to try to strengthen themselves as a, as a fragment, to try to increase their power and their prestige and so on. And on an international level, that, in, that kind of manifests itself in the illusion of nationality. I think the nationality is a, is a kind of illusion. Obviously, we belong to certain countries, and our countries may have slightly different um, you know, customs and conventions and even religious beliefs. But essentially, human beings all around the world are the same. We come from the same source, both physically and spiritually. So once you transcend the illusion of separation, you also transcend the illusion of nationality, the, the illusion of national difference. So then you begin to connect with other human beings. You begin to feel compassion for other human beings, no matter how superficially different they are to you. You begin to realize that there is an essence inside all human beings, which is one and the same. So you begin to let go of resentment. You let go of conflict and competition. And you begin to live a life of harmony and, you know, harmony on lots of different levels. You're in harmony with yourself, in harmony with nature, in harmony with other people. And that's really, you know, that's what we need, I think, in the world now. <laughs> Isn't there a song about that? What the world needs now. <laughs> it's, but it's true. Yeah. It's very true. You know, we need um, harmony on an individual level and on an international level, too. Perhaps that's the only way that we will transcend our present difficulties. You know, you, you, you kind of chuckle that, at the title of the song, um, but it's true. It, it seems almost as if it's the intellect that keeps us apart. And it is the arts, the poetry, the music that brings us together. And because we drop down below the neck when we are with poetry or music or mm. any of the types of arts. And, and when we're below the neck, all of a sudden, there is no other existence. There's just oneness. But that, the mm. moment we rise above the neck, it is, it is yeah. like the ego takes over and what the eye sees becomes real when the heart knows that none of it is. That's true. Yeah, I have a poem in the book. I can't remember what it's called now, but I suggest that all hatred and animosity is created by the mind, you know, by thought. And it's true, you know, resentments are created by the mind, uh, prejudice is created by the mind. But if you go below the mind, and if you meet somebody on a non-mental level, non-intellectual level, purely in a state of presence, then you naturally connect with them. It's one of the most basic human instincts is to connect. But you have to go below the level of the mind in order to do that. You know, the, I think human beings, we are naturally compassionate. We are naturally loving, but not a mental level. You know, we have to go be up below the mind, like you say. Well, and I, I think that that process begins with softening. And you have a poem in the book that's called Be Soft. And that, again, is such a, a deeper spiritual concept that I think has to dawn within a person to desire to soften. Because we're, we're taught to be tough. You know, the world tells us you need to be tough out there. It's a hard world out there. 
we're never taught, children aren't taught to be soft. Talk a little bit about softness and how you wrote that poem and how, how do you express that in your world? Mm. You're right. You know, we live in competitive societies. We're taught that if you want to survive, you need to be tough. If you want to succeed, you need to be ruthless. And so, so a lot of people are, you know, they're unwilling to, to let go of their competitiveness and to, to soften their minds, to soften their egos into a mode of trust and, and their mutual compassion. But it's essential for life. If you want to be happy, you have to live softly. If you live hardly, you will, you will clash with the world. Hardness clashes. You will create conflict wherever you go with other people, with yourself and with the world itself. So in order to, you know, to create compassion, in order to, and also in order to absorb the challenges that life throws at us, if you are soft, you know, challenges bounce back off you and you can absorb their, their force. You can absorb their, their blows. So you need to be soft in order to, you know, to, to, to love other people, to be at one with nature, to be at one with the world, and also to be at one with yourself. If your mind is soft, it means you can, um, you can fall below the level of mind into deeper aspects of your own being. But if you are hard, you are enclosed in a narrow, rigid space, and you eventually start to feel suffocated. And so, so softness is an essential quality, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm going to share one last poem from Steve Taylor's book, The Clear Light, and it is called The Gift. As you breathe, inhale deeply in gratitude for the gift of air. As you eat, swallow slowly in gratitude for the gift of food. As you see, look attentively in gratitude for the wonder of the world. As you love, be passionate in gratitude for the beauty of flesh and form. As you live, be authentic and fearless in gratitude for the gift of life. Thank you, Steve Taylor, for being on 1111 Talk Radio again. He is the author of 11 previous books on psychology and spirituality, including The Calm Center and The Leap. In addition, he is the author of the Return to Harmony audio course and the author of The Clear Light, Spiritual Reflections and Meditations. Go check out his website, stephenmtaylor.com. Sign up for his June 12th course that is companion to the book, The Clear Light, and get to know more about the wonderful work of Stephen M. Taylor. In addition, join me in 30 minutes for the after show on the Stereo app. It is the 1111 Talk Radio after show. My guest today is Linus Woods Mullen, and we are going to be talking about wellness for women over 40 and discovering all kinds of tips and tools and how to be healthier as women today that are in that age range. So don't miss the 1111 Talk Radio after party on the Stereo app. Uh, We go live every Tuesday at 1230 Eastern right after the 1111 Talk Radio show. I'd love to have you join in the conversation, comment, ask questions, or share something about yourself. This is live social conversations where we talk directly with you, our listeners. And you can join simply by downloading the app, setting up your avatar, and getting right on the show with us. We want to hear everything. So go to the banner on the center of the show page, the 1111 Talk Radio show page. Click, and you can get started. Until next week, I am Simran, in love, of love, with love, and as love. Be well. 
Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.